This is a recording for the Church of the Resurrection. We are an Anglican church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Our worship includes the proclamation of God's Word, the regular celebration of the Holy Communion, and an expectation that the Holy Spirit is active in the church and our lives. Please join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Boys and Girls Club on 824 East 14th Street. Here we are on the fourth Sunday of Advent. We have the fourth candle lit. Um, it's a good thing there's not a fifth Sunday of Advent because I think that first candle we lit would probably be burning up our little Advent wreath there. We're so close to Christmas. I think back to my youth, back to Christmas traditions, things that made me feel connected to Christmas. It's funny with kids, you only need to do things once for it to become a tradition, right? Well, we did that last year. We have to do that. Kids, learn to use this as leverage. Um, If your parents do something really cool this year, you've got to go back and do it next year. I remember, uh, we grew up in the middle of nowhere, up in the North Woods. I remember getting in our car um, and doing ambiguously legal things. Um, We're like, we don't know who, this is public land, right? We can go cut down a tree. I I don't know if that's true. We never looked it up. We we pleaded ignorance. We'd go find land that seemed to be public land and not private land, and we'd wander into the woods and try to find a tree. We'd cut it down, drag it to our car. Uh, and I remember one time, there was, there was, it was right next to the highway. Um, and in fact, we, we would hide in the snow just in case it was illegal so no one would see us. Blame my parents. I plead ignorance. I remember trying to drag that tree inside the house. Um, and realizing how big the tree actually was and how small doorways are. I remember uh, growing up, I mean, we didn't have these fancy paint colors. Our our walls were white. You find out what uh, a green Christmas tree does to white walls um, when you drag it against the wall. And I remember having to cut off a lot of parts of the tree to get it to fit actually inside the house. I remember we'd pull out the ornaments and the lights, and we'd, I mean, the lights were just all just snarled up. I think we're so tired by the time we put away the lights the year before that we never actually found a good way. I think uh, they were always, we had to untie them, and by the time we like unsnarled them and strung them out and plugged them in, we realized they didn't actually work. I remember associating the Christmas spirit with feelings that were associated with these memories. And I remember each year trying to search for that Christmas spirit and mid-December not feeling it. That, oh, where's this Christmas spirit? It's just not here this year. Are you familiar with the song, Christmas is a feeling in your heart? Have you heard this one? It goes like this. There are toys for girls and boys. Silver bells make merry noise. Yet you should remember from the start, Christmas is a feeling in your heart. Holly wreaths and mistletoe, carols by the candle glow. These are not the most important part. Christmas is a feeling in your heart. This song captures the zeitgeist perfectly, that we have competing, uh, we have things competing for our attention during the season. And the songwriter is trying to convince us that it isn't about the toys or the bells or the wreaths or the candles or the mistletoe, that it's about a feeling in your heart. Friends, I hope we know that this is hogwash, that Christmas is not, in fact, a feeling. It is not general goodwill towards others. There's a whole 
uh, industry of movies meant to manipulate our emotions that are associated with this season. And, and, and they're like, well, the real Christmas story is about kindness and generosity. But of course, we as Christians believe that the real story of Christmas is about God becoming born as a man, as a humble baby boy in a stable, spitting up, pooping, and drooling. That in fact, God decided to redeem the world by becoming a man. It's not about fuzzy feelings. Christmas is not a feeling in your heart. Christmas is an objective reality that God has broken in to our world and begun to restore things. Furthermore, if you've been with us on a Sunday during this season of Advent, we emphasize that this is not the season of Christmas. This is something distinct from Christmas. It's a season of waiting. It's a season of longing, a season of expectation. It's a season for those who suffer. It's a season for us who are living in this present evil age as we long for Jesus to return and to make all things right. And we look on the horizon, we, and we are as watchmen in the night looking, Jesus, are you coming? And we heed the words of Jesus who says, be watchful for you know neither the day nor the hour. It's a season of watchfulness, of expectation. So as the world outside is bustling and stressing out about getting ready for Christmas, feeling the need to get that Christmas feeling in our hearts. How do I do this when I've got so much to do? I gotta get that Christmas feeling. We set apart this season as a time of hopefulness and expectation, of preparation and of watchfulness, of sober watchfulness as we set our eyes on the horizon, set our eyes on the horizon and we heed those words, keep watch you know neither the day nor the hour. And our chorus this season is, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. Come and make all things right. I actually don't know that much about the history of Advent, um, of the Sundays of Advent, in fact. Um, the one that I, the, the more recent one that I'm really familiar with, of course, is last, if you were here last Sunday, we lit the pink candle and we said that, uh, that the third Sunday is the Sunday of joy. And that um, kind of the theme of the Sunday is Paul's writing, rejoice always, again I say rejoice. And we emphasize that he said this from prison, and he uh, cited Jesus as the reason that even though he's in prison, that he could say rejoice. He said, because I have learned through the power of Christ that I can be content in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we talked about that being the joy Sunday, um, be, how we can rejoice in all circumstances, uh, not because our circumstances are good, but because we know what the end has for us, that he will return and he will make all things right, and that we know the end of the story, that we're not sitting in suspense waiting to see what's going to happen. And we can rejoice for that reason, that we know the good news is coming. So these four themes, so, so I know more about the third one, but we have these four themes that have developed more recently, that we have the Joy Sunday, and this is considered the Love Sunday, um, that we have four candles. We have the, the, the Joy Candle, the Love Candle, the Hope Candle, and the Peace Candle. But in fact, for a much longer time period, Advent had four completely different themes. And these themes, um, I mean, it just tell, it's just the differences between the ages, um, in the medieval church, they focused on four less happy things during this season. And in fact, the four themes were death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Can you see why we prefer hope and joy and peace and, and love? 
These are things we don't want to talk about. Um, wouldn't you rather just sing, sing about peace on earth and mercy mild? Um, but when we consider that, that, that Jesus brings peace and joy and hope and love, it is worth thinking that in bringing those things, what is he saving us from? And it's definitely worthwhile to think about the, the fact that, that, um, that we have so many spiritual grandparents that came before us, that we are, we are not, in fact, a church that, like, we're a church that's global and a church that goes throughout history. And we should think about the way that our forebears in the faith, our spiritual grandparents, um, thought about this season. But they thought about it very differently. Um, they thought about death, and they thought about judgment, and they thought about hell. If you look at the lyrics of old Advent hymns, you see this scattered throughout. And even if you turn to page eight in your bulletin, you see that in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Um, this is a pretty typical hymn. Uh, what are some key words we see here? We see ransom and captive and, and Israel mourning in exile. We, say, we see Satan's tyranny, hell, grave, doomy. We see death's dark shadows and we see misery. It's only like in the 18th century that we see the turn um, in, in Christmas hymnody to turn to talk about the stable and the manger and the animals and the angels and the shepherds. But in fact, on um, the themes in, in for, for, for a millennia were, um, if you look at Christmas songs, you saw these themes of death and hell and damnation and really kind of um, serious things that, that are unpleasant for us to think about today. So I'm not going to advocate one approach over the other. In fact, we need this full picture, right? We know that Jesus came and he brought hope and love and peace and joy. Um, we also know that um, he saved us from Satan's tyranny, from, from hell and the grave, from death's dark shadows, and from misery. We need reminders also of the context. So these hymns about the stable and the shepherds and, and the manger, those biblical words, um, help us ground us in the reality that that. Of, of what Christmas is, that um, it was God incarnate, so that God was born as a little baby, a little baby who was certainly um, had times of colic, who kept his, who teethed, who kept Mary up at night. We need reminders of, of, of how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Because we, we need to remember that to, in order to redeem us, that Jesus had to become one of us. He was born as a baby. And, and so we do have this, this great hymn, um, Once in Royal David's City. Once in the city, to fulfill prophecy in the city of Bethlehem. Um, and they talk about, this hymn talks about Jesus. Day by day he learned and grew. He was like us in every way except without sin. And, and as we consider that context of how Jesus was born, we, we see how Jesus turned the world upside down. That Jesus left his royal throne in heaven to be born in a humble stable, to be born as a puking, pooping, and crying little baby. And those that were welcomed with the good news, they weren't the highborn, they were the shepherds. Shepherds who were, who were certainly not high in that society's uh, hierarchy. This is good news for those who are far from God, good news for the marginalized, that, that God didn't come to tell the emperor or the king or the mayor or even the temple priest, but the shepherds in the field.
because the good news of Jesus is for everyone, especially the marginalized. And this reminds me of what we call the Magnificat, which is a, a short passage from Luke chapter 1, um, otherwise known as the Song of Mary. Mary's given this stunning news that she is to carry the Son of God in her womb. And it's interesting, as we read the Gospels, is that uh, these are uh, a person's account of this, that we, we only get what we get, that, we, that there's a lot of stuff that isn't filled in. So we have um, Mary's response um, to this announcement, and she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. But we're not told, was there a pause? Was there a lengthy, stunned silence of five minutes? And she gathered herself and said, okay, all right, let it be. As, uh, we're not told the emotions that went through her head, but we do get, um, just a few verses later, she goes to visit Elizabeth and Zechariah, and we do get a little bit of her heart. Um, we do get some background, and she sings the song of Mary. And it's wonderful how uh, it articulates this message of Jesus turning the world upside down. Mary sings, or says, we're not sure. Um, tradition says uh, this is a song. Mary says, He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the humble and meek. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. So we read about this incarnation of God becoming a man. We understand how God is flipping the world upside down, that he comes with good news for the downtrodden that he comes in the humble form of a drooling baby, that he comes to humble the exalted, to exalt the humble. Or, as the Apostle Paul wrote, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The Christ's birth is a concrete demonstration of how his kingdom works. This is all to say that, that the, the circumstances surrounding his incarnation, his birth, are actually really significant. But the more ancient concerns of death and judgment and hell and heaven are important too, that we're born into a world of death. It's something that we are surrounded by. Um, whether you work in healthcare, whether you've lost a loved one, or whether you just are a little bit achier this year getting up as, than you were last year, we know of, of the way of the world that there are two things that are certain. Death and taxes. We're frequently reminded of how fleeting life is. So it's good to remember these ancient themes because they remind us of what Jesus has saved us from. That death does not have the last word. That hell is not our destination. And that his birth represents the beginning of this promise that we see in Genesis 3 carried out through the entire scripture of God redeeming the world. And as we remember these themes, let's also tackle the more modern theme of love, the Sunday of love. And much like hope and joy and peace, the Christian view of love is very different than uh, the view that the world offers. The world offers a slightly twisted version, slightly misunderstood. Society thinks of hope as a, as a foolish thing, as this, uh, wouldn't it be nice to fill in the blank? Wouldn't it be nice if wars would just end? But the Christian view of hope is much closer to expectation. Our hope is found in the assurance of God that he is faithful to do what he has said he will do. And likewise, um, society's view of peace is different than ours. But society views peace as an absence of conflict. 
But our Prince of Peace broke into the world to, in fact, heal the world. So to not just enter, give us a world that's the absence of war, but to actually restore all things to each other the way that they were designed to be. And we have biblical imagery that we've been reading all this month from Isaiah, the lion laying down with the lamb. That's the Christian view of peace, is that things will be restored. Real peace. Not the absence of conflict, but actual restoration of relationships. Society's view of joy is different than ours. Society sees joy and happiness as the same thing, that joy is something that's based on circumstances. We believe that joy is something apart from circumstances. And we have been given the strength from Jesus to be content in all circumstances. In fact, apart from circumstances, that we can rejoice even as we suffer. And we not only remember that intellectually, but we walk through that as we walk through the Christian year from Advent until, um, until the day of Pentecost. As we walk through the Christian year, we have seasons of rejoicing, we have seasons of penitence, we have seasons of, of, of spiritual disciplines, of, of not just penitence, but, but of celebration. That we celebrate even in times uh, where we may be suffering. And love. You know that the New Testament was written in Greek, and, and of course in Greek they have um, four words that they use for love. Um, I'm not going to talk about that, um, about their idea of love, only ours. We see love as a feeling, a feeling that's fleeting. You fall in love, you fall out of love, it waxes and it wanes. But we are welcomed to the Lord's table every Sunday because of his love for us. Whether we think of the famous verse, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that God sent his son to die for us, or, or whether we think about Romans chapter 5, um, in this he demonstrates his love for us, or he shows his love for us. I like the word demonstrate. He, God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were sinners, he died for us. Now, he didn't die for us because we're super good. He died because he... Uh, Christ died for us because he is good. Or in John's first epistle, 1 John 4.10, uh, you may remember this is the good memory verse. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we are able to celebrate Christ's birth and long for his coming again because of God's love for us. And I talked last Sunday about how um, we, we long and we pray for Christ to return um, because his return will bring justice. But justice is a scary word for each of us who are sinners, right? Because each of us are guilty of injustice. And then we can only celebrate his return because of his loving work on our behalf. And the justice can only be a, justice is not a scary thing, but in fact a good thing, because we know that we are covered by his work on our behalf. So we can say, oh, come quickly, Lord, come, everlasting God, come down and restore your creation. Bring justice, wipe away every tear, because we know that God's loved us and he has taken care of us. It's only because of the work of Jesus that we can, we can desire justice on the last day. And he did all this because he loves us. The Sunday of love. I threw a lot at you this morning. I'll admit that. I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit connects some dots and has made your heart receptive to what he is doing. I found this season to be a powerful season for me of walking through Advent as, as we walk through this together, of 
preparation and expectation, of longing, of, of, of watchfulness, the season of saying, come Lord Jesus, of longing while also still living in this evil age. That as we walk closer to Christmas each day, we would rejoice at what God has done in the birth of Jesus Christ. And what we hope for and long for as we scan the horizon, looking for his return. So for the final Sunday, until 11 months later, let us continue this refrain for just a few more days. Oh, come quickly, everlasting God, come down. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your love for us um, has given us the security and the assurance and the sure hope um, that when you return, that you will gather us in. Lord, we pray uh, as we seek your return, Lord, as we long for your return, Lord, I, I pray for our hearts that we would be watchful. And as we prepare for that day, Lord, let us celebrate and relish the good news of your son's birth in the manger. And Lord, we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.